Good morning, friends. Um, the scripture reading for this morning is from John chapter 19, verses 16b to 19, and from 28 to 30. And you can read along on your in your bulletin on page 6. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mommy. I don't know if it's, uh, is it okay to say Happy New Year? We got a couple more hours still to go, a little, little premature, but uh, Happy New Year again. And uh, bear with me here, I'm, this is not my attempt to uh, ramp up the technology here, ran into some technical difficulties earlier. Today, and as I'm staring at my battery life, we're at 17%, so we better get going here, right? Uh, we better hurry on up. Uh, living on the edge. Let's pray. Let's say a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for being here. Thank you for the laughter we can share. Thank you for the tears that we can share. Thank you for real life that we can share. We ain't messing around. We're not here to play, uh, play life. Uh, we're here to do real life which means joys and trials. But with you right in the middle of it all, because you're the only one that turns our lives right side up. You're the only one that gives us meaning as our hearts crave meaning. You're the only one that really sets us free, that can forgive us, that can draw us back to God. So Lord, come and do that. Draw us back to yourself. All the ways in which we're fragmented, all the ways in which we're scattered or maybe even running from you some of us are running we pray that you would pull us back and bring us near to the fountain of your grace and that's what you call your word uh, a word of life so give us life today uh, open our hearts open our ears open our lives to you send your spirit we pray this in jesus name It's important to get off to a good start, right? It's important to get off to a good start. I remember thinking that as my family and I were recently preparing for a flight to visit my dad for his birthday. I don't know exactly what I thought might count as a good start, especially on a trip involving three young children. Who knew, right? Though... But as we arrived at the airport at 6 in the morning, well, here we go. 
We found the check-in line to be snaking endlessly already all around the terminal. Oh, no. Then, while waiting in line, one of my kids starts saying that they don't feel well. Here we go. When we finally got to the front of the line, the airline agent told me that one of our children didn't have a ticket on file. What? Then she informed me in due time that we were going to miss our flight. And then to top it off, top it all off, at one point I look up to where Paula and the kids were a little bit off to the side waiting there and I noticed that my daughter was now throwing up into a Ziploc bag that her mom was holding, right? 50 points for a quick thinking mom or something like that, right? So the trip, truth is, turned out to be a big blessing. But suffice to say, that was not the good start that I was hoping for. But we long for good starts. We long to start well. A lot of us are hoping to get off to a good start, so to speak, in the new year. What does that look like for you? What are, what are those plans? What, what's sort of that dream or that idea of a good start that you're carrying around in your mind or in your, in your plans? Hopefully it's at least a better one than the one that my family got off to on that trip. We want to start well, but here's a question. Spiritually speaking, what does that even mean? Spiritually, what does it mean to start the year well? There are a lot of ways, of course, that that question could be tackled. A lot of different angles. In some ways, it just gets to the heart of what it means to know God and to walk with God in light of his gospel. But this morning, as we ponder this meaningful text, this passage from John chapter 19, I want to leave you with this simple, foundational, and, and yes, brief Answer. Start the new year with your heart filled with the finished work of Jesus. How do we get off to a good start to the new year? Start the new year with your heart filled with the finished work of Jesus. You know, it might seem a bit strange to read about Jesus' crucifixion, of all things, just days after celebrating his birth. But I hope you're coming to know that, of course, it's not all that strange. Jesus, after all, was born to die. 33 years later, in our place for our sins. He was sentenced to death by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, whose name you heard there mentioned at the beginning of verse 1. Crucifixion was Rome's preferred method of execution. Crucifixion. And that typically meant tying or nailing a criminal's wrists and hands to a wooden cross until he died from blood loss and from suffocation. Jesus was crucified as an accused insurrectionist, guilty of sedition and treason against the state. After all, he claimed to be a king. Never mind that he meant 
that he was a spiritual king, not a political one. Never mind, though, there was no king in this empire but Caesar. And so we're told in verse 17 that Jesus carried his cross to the place of the skull, a little bit outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. In Aramaic, the name of that location was Golgotha. In Latin, it was called Calvary. There they crucified Jesus along with two other men on either side of him. Jesus endured the torture of crucifixion for about six hours, as we understand it, from about nine o'clock in the morning until about three o'clock in the afternoon. The worst part of his suffering, however, was infinitely experienced but barely mentioned in the narrative of this text. The worst part of his suffering. And what was it? It was hell. Verse 28 tells us that Jesus cried out, I am thirsty. And the Apostle John makes sure that we know that Jesus isn't just asking for a thirst quencher, though he needed that. He's also quoting scripture so that we can understand what he was actually going through. See, many scholars believe that Jesus was pointing us to Psalm 22 from the Old Testament, which contains these words. My mouth is dried up. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. You see, it's a psalm that was written from the perspective of someone who's crying out to God as he's being insulted and ruthlessly tortured. In Matthew and in Mark's account of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus actually uses the opening words of that very same psalm as he hung on the cross to describe what he was going through. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, for all the unbelievable pain that Jesus endured in his body, that was nothing compared to what Jesus endured in his soul. As he hung on the cross, God the Father had forsaken his Son. He withdrew from Jesus the infinite blessing of eternal fellowship as an outpouring of divine wrath upon him. And it was the greatest imaginable act of love because that was precisely what we deserved for our sin and our selfishness. Jesus, though he was God's son, was treated judicially like a stranger, so that we who were strangers, indeed even enemies against God, might be treated as beloved sons and daughters. Jesus suffered the forsakenness of hell itself so that we in him might enjoy the fellowship of heaven. 
This is the good news of the cross. And so we're told in verse 30, when Jesus had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. Of course, he surely had in mind the duration of the pain that he was suffering. But he was talking about far more than that. Having now emerged from hell itself, again, paying the price for sins that we should have paid in love, in mercy. Jesus declared now that the work was done. His mission was accomplished. Jesus achieved everything that was needed to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into the favor of God, to win for us the blessing of God himself. He was telling the whole world, from those who stood at the foot of the cross there that day all the way over, till here and now, to your hearts and mine, that the entire purpose for which Jesus came into the world was now complete. It is finished. Hallelujah. And so, friends, as you prepare for the new year, the question is this. Will you start at his finish line? Will you start at his finish line? And what does that really mean? Jesus finished, finished paying the price for every single one. Count them in your head and name them if you need to in your heart. For every single one of your failures to love. Both those failures of commission because of the selfishness and anger and hatred of your heart both acted upon and held within. As well as your failures of omission, not actually loving and caring as you ought turning away from needs and from people in indifference, in evil apathy. Jesus paid the price for every one of your failures to love if you put your trust in him. He fully satisfied all the demands of justice that hung over your head. It is finished. So now you can start the new year in Christ, free of guilt. I don't care what mistakes you've made or sins that you have committed in the last year, or maybe we should also say because of the burdened consciences that we carry with us daily in the last year or in years beyond, If you humbly bring those things before Jesus to the cross of Christ, you can have a new beginning today. It is finished for you today.
Jesus finished securing the unchanging love of God for you. That means God has fixed his love upon you and nothing's going to make him break his promise. And nothing is going to make him change his mind. And that means that as much as relationships are a blessing from God, don't you know that in the coming year, you don't need romance to know that you're lovable. And that means that, sure, you can start hitting the gym this week, if that's your thing. <laughs> but don't you know now that you can do that not because you're hideous, but because you're holy and dearly loved. And it's a joy for you to take care of this thing that God has made you a steward over that he calls the, the temple, the, the physical house of the Holy Spirit of God himself who now lives in you because it is finished. And that means that there's nothing that you can accomplish in the coming year that will make God love you more or think more highly of you. And there's nothing that you can fail to accomplish Accomplish, including even your terribly fragile New Year's resolutions. Let's be honest. Nothing that you can fail to accomplish, whether moral or personal or relational or professional, that will ever make him love you less. Because his love is anchored not in your performance which is up and down, let's be honest, but anchored rather in the perfect performance of Jesus. His life of love as he walked for 33 years upon this earth and as he died in perfect obedience to the Father and as he, as he rose again from the dead to win for you indestructible covenant love, it is finished. And that's why you can set out to grow personally in the new year, but not with the tiring demands of self-improvement, where you always feel like you're on the hook to show a better side of yourself, or where you feel like you need to muster up your own wisdom, or your own new ideas, or your own just resources to change yourself or to self-construct your best self, or your best life, now you can live free. The broken, wounded, imperfect you that God promises one day to perfect, and yet in the meanwhile, he promises to love perfectly. Yeah, you, the flawed you. God loves you. Do you know that today? Will you know that in the coming year? And so you can start to Make all kinds of plans and ambitions, if you will, for the coming year. 
Again, whether for your personal life or your work life or your spiritual life, but not with the insecurity and exhaustion of someone who's trying to always earn God's approval or acceptance through your accomplishments or your relationships. Instead, you can start the year with freedom. The freedom of someone who's perfectly loved, someone who's doing this and that with great energy, but not in order to earn love, but because you're loved. As an overflow of gratitude and joy of a life that you know you don't deserve, but you've been gifted by the cross and resurrection of Christ. You can live with this kind of freedom in the coming days, weeks, and months of this year. You can do that because it is finished. Don't you know that on the cross, Jesus finished bringing you back into the arms of a strong, caring Heavenly Father. God who's in control of all things, all things, all details of your life and of this city and of this world. Nothing escapes His vision. Nothing is too distant for the redemptive reach of His arm. Nothing is is too insignificant for the care of his heart to envelop. This God who's in control of all things, who knows the number of hairs on your head, and who works all things, even the painful things, together for your good. It is finished so that even in the face of so much uncertainty. Isn't there so much uncertainty in life? Things we can't control. Things we can't foresee or foreknow. Even in the face of so much uncertainty that we can actually start the year free of fear and free of anxiety or free of the anxious illusion of control. (laughs) That if I just did this a little bit more or just put my mind to it a little bit better or if I just dug in a little bit harder, then it'll be in my control and nothing bad will ever be able to happen, guaranteed. It's a lie. Free of anxiety and fear and regret. Because as Scott Sauls has put it so compellingly, if your hope is anchored in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, the worst case future scenario for you is resurrection and everlasting life. Dear friends, don't you know it is finished for you today? And on the cross, Jesus finished defeating the power of evil. As he hung on the cross, though it didn't appear that way this day, that day, this way, that day, he was in fact reigning on a throne, reigning over the defeated enemies of evil. Jesus hasn't yet rolled out his victory in every visible way. That day is still coming when he returns. And it's true, we feel this. 
our visible world is still terribly broken everywhere, everywhere. And every day we see signs of oppression and division and seemingly intractable conflict and brokenness in our families and disease and selfishness in your heart that you just feel like you can't get rid of and abuse and sadness and death. But don't you know that you can start, we can start the new year with hope and without despair. Because, as it's been said, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice and wholeness but not because human society just naturally and inevitably makes moral progress, but because God is a God of justice and righteousness and redemption and resurrection, and he promises he's going to finish his work. Because he promises he's going to come back again, Jesus is, to make all things right. So we can have hope today and in the coming year and not despair. No matter how bleak it might appear as far as human eyes can see. Because it is finished. Friends, don't you know? It is finished. So you can start the year confident confident that you're forgiven, that you're loved by God. It is finished, Jesus says, so you can face the trials that await you in the coming year, knowing that your God will never forsake you no matter how much it might hurt. It is finished so you can be sure always that God is at work even when you can't see him at work. It is finished so you can start the year free of fear and guilt and regret and worry. It is finished. And so by God's grace in Christ, who reconciles us to the Father and removes all things that serve as boundaries between us and eternal fellowship with God, it is finished so you can start the year with God. Beloved, as we start the new year, let's start with Jesus. Let's start at the finish line. Let's pray. So we look to your cross to give us what we can't conjure up on our own, which is eternal life and hope and strength, grace to believe your promises and to forge forward in, into the coming year, which we know will be a broken year and yet one that's full of redeeming grace, because you will be present in it. You will be present with us 
You are still and always will be Emmanuel. And so fix our eyes, Lord Jesus, upon the cross and upon the resurrection. And give us a good start to the new year. Lift our eyes up off of ourselves and even off of the world around us. Fix our eyes wholly upon you. And please set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.